Hey everybody, this is Theodore Ted Matrakis, uh, host of the Daily Dialectic Podcast, <clears throat> one of the most important podcasts in the world, currently in Prospect Park and sitting under a cloud that's like only here and it's raining on me, like other parts of the park, the sky's blue, god damn, I sat in the worst place, it's alright, I can just sit here and get rained on, it's raining on my, not parade, but podcast, I guess a podcast is a parade parade of being a fucking retard holy shit okay it's raining a lot now god damn it you know what it's fine um so today i wanted to talk about uh basketball because june is over and so there's no basketball for a long time um i think the wnba season starts now but i don't know i don't care women can't play basketball um but yeah, I'm getting rained on. The draft happened. I don't care about that. I think I've, I wrote something about this like two years ago, but basketball is the, I think the best way to like see trends in society occurring in real time. Fuck, it's like really raining there. God damn it. Um, like all the hipsters in the park are like, yes, I'm reborn. I welcome it. The rain will purify me. Um, no, it won't. You're still gonna suck. Ugh. All these disgusting white people like, yes, I'm here for it. Rain, take me. <laughs> Ugh, man. Fuck. Um. <clears throat> but, yeah, I was talking about basketball. Yeah, it's sad that, um, no basketball for a long time. And it's just like right back into Kevin Durant. Oh, where's Kevin Durant gonna go next? Um. I wouldn't want him on my fucking team. Like, I don't know. I was watching... All I watch are, like, 80s basketball games on YouTube. They have full games on there, and the quality is surprisingly good. Um, To me, that's the only thing that's worth watching. Uh, And, like, there's so much... I'm watching a lot of um, Sixers versus Celtics from the early 80s, Dr. J versus Larry Bird. And that rivalry never gets talked about. All you ever hear about is Magic and Bird. But Dr. J versus Bird, when the Sixers played the Celtics, all the time in the early 80s, um, and Dr. J was an older player and Bird was really young, and, like, there's no relationship there. There's, like, they're very, very separate. And there's, there'd be no, no possibility that they could, like, team up after. Like, hey, you're pretty good, man. Let's play together. That'd be great. Fucking Kyrie Irving nerd. Hey, man. Be awesome to play together. It's <laughs> my Kyrie impression. Hey, man. Um, yeah, they would never team up to play together. And, like, the main thing I noticed about watching a lot of early 80s basketball, especially Celtics versus Sixers, because those are the two best teams in the early 80s, other than the Lakers, which were kind of this, like, other thing that wasn't real basketball um it's like it's more like hockey than anything like basketball is a weird game it doesn't really have its own identity because it's just guys running around with a ball um so it can change more than any other game i think sort of what i was saying earlier i'm high and it's raining in the park and i'm confused so my train of thought not that it's ever good but might not be super good right now um (laughs) So yeah, I think the fact that basketball can change so much 
and it's so like indefinite in terms of what it is. Uh, it can reflect a lot of social trends in a way that you don't really see in other sports. And I don't know, in the early 80s, shit was just tough. Like, life was hard. Um, I don't know. I, I realize I sound like a fucking boomer right now, but technology really did change everyone. And, like, the players in the NBA back then, like, they were in their mid-20s, whatever, but, like, they were men, you know? Like, there's none of this Jordan Poole bullshit. Like, fuck Jordan Poole. Fucking Zoomer, millennial ass. Like, all I do is shoot... I think, um... Someone had a tweet about this the other day. Who was it? I should find out. Okay, I just did some research. Uh, it was James Worthy who said that recently. That, like, players today just practice threes, get tattoos, and tweet. Um, and that's really true. James Worthy was a player on the Lakers in the 80s. And, yeah, like I was saying, basketball was more like hockey in the early 80s. I think that's what, that was the best time for basketball. Like, in the 90s, it got, like, too physical almost, because the guys got too big, and it was just, like, really slow. But in the 80s, it was, like, tough and physical. But the guys were still kind of, like, small and fast. Um, and the refs let them play. They didn't call too many fouls. In the 90s, I feel like they called too many fouls. And the guys were too big and, like, it was too bunched up almost. Um, now basketball's, like, too spread out and spaced out. And the guys are almost too small. Like, it's all just wings. Um, and it's genuinely pouring right now. God damn it. My life is fucking weird, as you probably know. Um... And so now I think there's this, like, overcorrection of, like, shit was too bunched up in the 90s and early 2000s and too slow. Now it's, like, too spread out and too fast almost. It's more like soccer now. So this is my point. I think basketball used to be more like hockey when it was at its best. Then it kind of became... Then Jordan changed things so much that, like, basketball didn't know what it was. Um, and now... Yeah, it's just people jacking up these threes. And it's a lot of long rebounds. So if everyone's shooting threes, the ball, like, the rebounds are bounce far and go far out. Whereas in the 80s, it's all these, like, close two-point shots that guys are shooting. And they weren't very good at shooting them either. Like, I think the skill level has improved a lot um, in terms of shooting. But, yeah, the offensive rebound is really important in basketball in the early 80s. And that's really where Larry Bird's game began. Like, so the Celtics won the 1981 NBA championship. Bird's second year. Like, it was a very young team. And Bird really wasn't fully the player that he became yet. But they still won the championship. And it's all about Larry Bird's offensive rebounds. And you're, like, starting the whole play with by the way you do the rebound. And that's how they used to rebound. Like, the rebound wasn't just a rebound. It was, like, this is... You're creating a shot in the way you get the rebound, basically. And nobody does that now. Because the rebounds are all, again, just these, like, 
long bounces. Um, sometimes it can lead to fast breaks, but... Um, and, yeah, it's all just soccer now. You're just, like, taking shots. The shot wasn't even, like, that big of a part of basketball in the early 80s. Like, it was all just about, like, hustling, defense, and rebounds. Because, like, no one was really that good of a shooter back then. That's why Bird was so different, because he could, like, knock down anything. He was kind of like the first Steph Curry. Um, but now, yeah, I don't... Like, some big guys are good rebounders or whatever, but, like, Bird wasn't a big guy. He could just, like, viciously pull down rebounds that, like, immediately started the whole next play. Just, like, the energy he would rip the ball down with. And, like, you could already see his brain moving and, like, decisions he was making just by the way he rebounded it. Uh, and so his game would start from there. So it was, like, it was an inside-out game in the way that he rebounded now it's all outside in and yeah it's just not as good really god damn it my cigarette's wet I can't even smoke it anymore shit I hate when that happens um but yeah I mean Celtics got to the finals so I can't be that upset uh I didn't really follow the team at all early in the year cause they were really shitty um then they started being unbelievable. I remember watching a game in March of this year between the Celtics and the Warriors, and the Celtics won. And I had a very clear vision then. I was like, this is going to be the finals. Uh, and I was going to put money on it. But when, like, I was going to put like all my money on it because I was very short, um, which isn't that much, obviously. But my friend talked me out of it. Um, this is why you should never listen to friends. But, yeah, I didn't put any money on it. And they ended up losing the finals anyway. But, <clears throat> the Celtics played a more, like, real style of basketball, I think. Because they were more of a team. They didn't really have any stars, necessarily. Uh, and they had a good, like, inside-outside game. Whereas the Warriors, of course... You know, everyone knows this. They, like, they changed basketball. It's all about stats. It's all about three-point shot, spacing, um, playing really fast, basically turning the game into soccer. Steph Curry is like a soccer player. To watch the way he moves, everything about him. And, yeah, all of their fans just like it because they're more just like Steph Curry fans. Like, I, would, I went to the bar to watch all the games. Cause I don't have a TV. I'm an intellectual. I read actually. Um, and yeah, like I would, I would always be the only Celtic fan at the bar. And there's like all these Warriors fans, mostly like Asian women or like Indian guys who are computer programmers or just like random people who are just like, Oh, I don't like basketball. I'm just a Steph Curry fan. Um, and so they just want to see him shoot shots. It sucks. There's no like actual connection to it. It's rootless, I would say. Um, and Another thing I don't really like about the Golden State Warriors is, I don't know, they're not, like, from a place at all. They started in another city, even in Philadelphia. Like, before Philly had the Sixers, they had the Warriors, but then they went out to 
Oakland, and now they're in San Francisco. They've moved a bunch of times. And they're not, they're called the Golden State Warriors, not even named after a state or a city, named after a nickname for a state, which is kind of stupid. And yeah, they, uh, their best player, Steph Curry, he loves Israel a lot. He ha- like his family has these connections to Israel, Zionism. Draymond Green, um, like posed for pictures with the IDF as a sniper and whatever. Like, so it's very neoliberal in that way. It's very like, oh, we're progressive and we have all this data and we're the new style of basketball is the future. But also like, hey. Isn't this fucking uh, apartheid state cool? Um, so it's this like new thing, but also this covering over this very backwards, awful shit. Um, and yeah, their players are just like really immature in this annoying way. Draymond Green kicks you in the nuts, pulls your pants down. Uh, Steph Curry looks like he's 14 and like he's just, I don't know, been jerking off all day every time you look at him. Um, also the son of an NBA player, so grew up as a millionaire, uh, Clay Thompson too, son of an NBA player, uh, and Andrew Wiggins. And I think they have one more guy too. So a lot of like inherited privilege there. Like Steph Curry wouldn't have become the shooter he is if his dad wasn't an NBA player. Like I'm sure he had like a full basketball court in his house growing up, like an endless supply of basketballs, you know, like that, that makes a big difference. Um, so yeah, I hate the Warriors. Steve Kerr gives these very, like, performative, um, I'm very upset press conferences when politics things happen. Uh, Celtics coach Ime Adoka, all business, no bullshit. I like him a lot. So, yeah, anyway, it was really sad that uh, my beloved Celtics lost to anyone in the finals, but especially the Warriors. Just on every level, I despise them. And the Celtics seem so righteous this year. Like, not just the way they play, but their path to to the finals. Like, they had to... They went through uh, the Heat. The Miami Heat. And I think Miami Heat fans are the only ones worse than Warriors fans. Because Miami Heat fans are all, like, tech bros, cryptocurrency bros, uh, wealthy retirees, just moved down there. Or gusanos from Cuba. um, Meaning, like, people who opposed... Castro and communism uh, because they were part of the ruling class and so they left and now they're in Cuba. Lots of those people love to be Heat fans. So really like the worst collection of people. Um, And Warriors fans of course are Silicon Valley people. Uh, Nancy Pelosi's a fan. Um, And you know Zionists and Israelis who think that uh, Steph Curry is just the coolest and so the Celtics were trying to defeat both of those things by playing, like, more, more old-school basketball based around defense and hustle and team play um, than the other teams, which relied on, you know, modern analytics and, like, more like... And the Heat were just, like, not a very good team, but they had Jimmy Butler. They had this one star guy who could carry them. Um, and the Celtics weren't, like, this advanced analytics team, and they didn't have a real star either. 
So it was kind of like weird how they were even there. Um, and like, I think the NBA prefers the Warriors and the Heat to be like the teams that advance and represent the league. They want to promote the kind of Gusano Zionist access axis of neoliberal fascism that Miami and San Francisco represent. Basically, Miami and San Francisco are the two like leading things in this new form of liberal fascism that's happening, um, and like technology, glitz, glamour, all of that, that sort of covers up the cold fascist reality of it. And that's what the NBA wants, because that's you know what the future is. But the beauty of sports is that that can get screwed up. And that's what the Celtics did against Miami, and they almost did against the Warriors, um, although they you know, only made it to six games. Um, there was a funny moment in the series when um, <laughs> the Celtics fans, like the whole Boston Garden where they play, was like, fuck you, Draymond. And Steve Kerr and uh, Clay Thompson, they were like, oh, real classy Boston. Like, they were offended afterwards. Um, and they asked the commissioner, Adam Silver, what he thought. And he was like, to his credit, he was like, oh, I love the passion and energy that Boston fans bring to the league. Um, so that's cool. And Boston's really the only place like that. That's like really small and hasn't changed at all. And like, not a very big market. Like, why do they even have, they only have a team because like, they got in early and they're established. But like, it doesn't even make sense. Um, I guess you need like some East Coast. You need some East Coast team, like east of New York. And that's going to be Boston, just because it's just because it's there, basically. Um, and yeah, very angry people, very racist people. Um, and that's kind of the weird thing about the Celtics now is that, like, you know, not so much this season, but definitely the last two seasons. Like they would put Black Lives Matter on the court, and like the players change their jersey names to like social justice statements or whatever. Two years ago, after the George Floyd uh, protests, which I supported, but there were a lot of cringe kind of things that happened and I think like players changing their the names on their on the back of their jerseys to like change must happen or whatever was kind of cringe but anyway the Celtics are very much a racist team throughout their history um and they're still there <laughs> you know like it's kind of funny um I always remember in the 1986 NBA finals the Celtics played uh, the Houston Rockets, the fans at the Boston Garden had this effigy of Ralph Sampson, who was the big center for the Rockets. Um, they had Hakeem Olajuwon too, but he was young back then. Uh, and they were just like hanging an effigy of this black guy. <laughs> there was like a noose around his neck and everything. Um, it was just in the Boston Garden. It wasn't that long ago either. Uh, and I watched this awesome video on YouTube the other day, of Dr. J's retirement. He retired in, I think, 1987. And he did a a retirement, like, tour. Like, the last time he played in every stadium, like, they would honor him, and he would give a speech and whatever. Um, Which, I don't know how many players really got to do that. I guess some did, but definitely Dr. J. And, like, I can't, I don't know. Do they still do that for players? Like, maybe Kobe did that? I don't know. But... It was weird to see the Celtics doing that for him because, like, the Cel- like their rivalry was so bitter. Like, they, before games, like, you can just see it between them. Like, they wanted to kill each other. 
They weren't friends at all. They weren't going to hang out after, you know? And they would certainly never join up as teammates the next year or anything, like fucking Durant does. Um, and Red Auerbach, who was like the architect of all the Boston Celtics teams, the owner, president for like 40 years or whatever, he gave Dr. J this like clock <laughs> as a gift. It was like, Dr. J, thank you for being so great for so many years. Here is a clock that I hope you will cherish. And Dr. J was like, thank you, Red. I will cherish this clock. Uh, it was it's kind of a random um, thing. But I guess it represented like time and memories or whatever. I think the inscription on it was time passes, but the memories stay, um, which was nice. But I think they only like honored Dr. J like that because they always beat his Sixers teams, except in 1983. The Sixers actually won the championship in 1983, which nobody really talks about. I want to hear people talk about it. It's always just like Celtics and Lakers winning in the 80s, but the Sixers were always right there with Dr. J, but, and they won one championship, but they always get forgotten. But yeah, I think like if the Sixers had beaten the Celtics more, then they probably wouldn't have honored him or whatever. Um, so yeah, doc, Dr. J gives like a 10 minute speech. It's really nice. And there's one moment in it that's really funny because, um, he was reflecting on like his different times in Boston at the Boston garden. And I guess he came up to a game once and there were some Celtics fans outside and they had white hoods on. <laughs> um, and he thought that like, you know, they were clan members or they were like impersonating clan members or something. Uh, but I guess he talked to the fans. He was like, what's going on? And they were like, Oh, we're the ghosts of all of the, like Celtics greatness in the past and we're haunting you. <laughs> and so Dr. J was very good natured about it. He was like, Oh, okay. They were just representing the basketball ghosts. <laughs> and he was like, this building is haunted. Um, so yeah, it was a different time, man. They could laugh about how like one of the biggest stars, Dr. J thought that he was being ambushed by sports fans dressed as clan members but, like, and he was, you know, wasn't that mad about it. He just thought it was funny. Um, so, yeah, Dr. J was the man. Bad shooter, though. Not even a good foul shooter. Um, all about the inside game with Dr. J. Dunks, yes, but, like, I don't know. It's like if he got the ball close to the hoop, he would just figure out some insane layup. Uh, that was his game. Because, like, you couldn't get that many dunks because everything was so bunched up back then. So, like, if you got free enough and got enough space to get a good dunk, like, that was pretty rare. Now there's so much space in the way the game's played that there's all these insane dunks happening all the time. Um, because I think with, with three-point shots, like, everyone spreads out under the basket because the rebounds are going to be long. Um... And so, like, that opens up all this space under the basket for these easy, like, really emphatic dunks. But it wasn't like that back in the day when Dr. J played. Uh, he would have the most insane dunks ever now. Uh, welcome to Dr. J Talk, where we talk about all things Dr. J. Uh, was also, on the subject of old-school racism in sports, was watching the Al Campanis video on YouTube the other day. Al Campanis was a Dodgers great and I think involved a manager, whatever, involved in the front office 
of the Dodgers for a long time. And it was an old clip of him being interviewed by Ted Koppel in the 80s about uh, Jackie Robinson. Because um, I think Jackie Robinson had just died then or something. I don't know. Or they were, like, commemorating him. And Al Campanis, Greek guy, um, and, like, just could not be more racist. But, like, and he was aware of it, but he didn't think it was bad. And so, so he got canceled for saying all of this racist stuff um, on the Ted Koppel news show. And somehow I had never seen that video before. Like, I'd kind of heard about it, but it was pretty unreal um, because he's, he's just so matter-of-fact about it. And, like, he's not being malicious or anything. He's just like, yeah, like, <laughs> that's just how it is. And so Ted Koppel asked him, um, at what point did you fully accept Jackie Robinson as a person? Which is a fucking loaded question uh, because it's already setting you up as a racist. Because the only way to answer that would be, like, I always thought of him as a person. Like, that's a misleading question. But, of course, Al Campanis, being a hot-headed Greek, um, did not think in those terms. He just charged right into it. And he was like, well, we accepted him as a person once he proved his prowess on the baseball field. Meaning that they didn't think he was really a person until uh, he could prove that he was really good at baseball. So he was starting... I mean, it's kind of what racism is. Like, you have to start lower in order to get to the same place. So, like, Al Campanis being white, although not really. He was Greek. Like, Greeks aren't, you know, Greeks are barely white. Um, And yet often so racist. I guess, like, that's what happens, though. The last people to be included in a, like, group, in, like, the privileged class, they defend it the most because, like, they don't want to let anyone else in. They want to be, like, the last ones. Um, I guess that's kind of where <laughs> Greek racism comes from in America. Um, and yeah, he was just like, obviously, we accepted him once he was good at baseball. But if he wasn't good at baseball, no, he would not be equal. Um, and that's just what he thought. And he was like, yeah, why would I think anything other than that? Um, and he also said something about, like, to me, that was like the most telling thing that stuck out and he just kept going he kept digging a hole uh (laughs) and he also said something about how blacks can't swim because they don't have the buoyancy that white people have um and just very matter-of-factly um i think today we, we would call this race realism that like people don't think they're being racist. They just think they're being realistic and that there are real differences between the races. And so that's the position they start from. And they think that like equality is a myth um, and that we have to start from a more objective, honest place. And for them, that takes the form of like, you know, oh, black people uh, don't have buoyancy. (laughs) They think that's more accurate. I don't know what they're basing that on either. Like, if you ask them, like, well, how do you know that black people don't have buoyancy? And they would just be like, well, you go to the beach, you don't see many black people in there. It would just be that kind of thing, like anecdotal evidence. Uh, And I guess that's true. Like, black people don't go to the beach. I don't think it's because they can't swim, though. I think, I don't know, the beach sucks. Like, why do you want to 
sit on horrible sand that's going to get everywhere in your body and get all over your shower when you get home um, and like be in the hot sun and get all sweaty being sweaty and dirty and then you go in the water which is going to be full of monsters because it's the ocean it's got like rocks on the bottom and like sharp shit uh, like what is fun about that I don't know um, women white women love the beach that's about it. And I guess black people don't really care what white women like. Or they kind of always do the opposite of it. So I think that's why uh, you don't see black people at the beach. Not because they can't swim. Um, and black people just like consistently don't do anything that white women do. And I think that's one of the cool things about them. Like, I guess Shaq uh, had a chance to be an early investor with Starbucks. But he didn't do it. And he said that he never sees black people drinking coffee. And so like, he, he doesn't want to invest in something that black people don't use. And, you know, that's why Shaq's a cool guy. Um, he's very loyal. Like, if you ever see him do those weird commercials for the general? It's like this tiny little insurance company nobody ever heard of. And Shaq's been doing commercials for the general, like, his whole life and just keeps doing them still. Uh, and it makes no sense. But I guess, like, they gave him his first endorsement deal or something. So he just always stays with them. Um, but yeah, <laughs> black people don't drink coffee. Uh, and I think that's more true than, or that's true in the same way that black people don't go to the beach is. Uh, it's not because they can't drink coffee. And it's not because they can't swim. It's because those are things that white women like and they don't want to be doing that. Um, sometimes I like to speak on behalf of black people. I don't know. Uh, is that racist too? I guess Greeks just can't help it, man. I don't know. We got big mouths. The Greeks have big mouths. That's what we're known for. And yeah, often gets us into trouble. It certainly happens with me. Um, I don't know though. Like it's the only way that a Greek man knows how to live. Just like keep saying way too much all the time. Um, and you just don't know how to stop. <laughs> Until, like, you get really horribly punished or killed. That's sort of the story of Socrates. That he didn't shut up until they killed him. And they didn't kill him until he was, like, 71. He, he was in his 70s. Um, so they let him run his mouth all day, every day. For a long time. Because, you know, that's what being Greek is about. And it was, it was Greece, so Greeks were in power. Uh, and I think... The reason that we still have cancel culture, if I may speak on this important topic for a moment, uh, is that we don't have Greeks in power. Uh, yes, the Greeks did eventually kill Socrates, but they let him talk for a long time. And now, in today's climate, Socrates would have been put to death, like, immediately. He wouldn't have gotten to run around until he was 70 and doing all that shit. So we need more Greeks in power. That's how we can um, stop cancel culture, basically. Um, so I'm announcing my run for office. I'm going to be running for mayor of New York. Governor of New York. Yeah. I'm going to combine the two positions into one. Mayor and governor. Can't be that hard. So I'm still in Prospect Park, and there was just some thunderstormy lightning stuff. I paused the recording now, so I didn't 
uh, hear it. You won't hear it on here. But now it's kind of sunny out. Very weird. Like it's perfectly sunny now. Um, it's like this passing thunderstorm, like directly over me. And I think it's my fault. I think I caused it um, just by, I don't know, being really evil, I guess. Um, it's not my fault. Can't help it. Um, maybe I should stop being evil, but I don't know. That seems like a bad idea at this point. Uh, I think you just have to be what you are, you know? You get into trouble by, I don't know, paying attention to anything else because uh, it's all wrong and bad. You just have to sort of go with what's inside you. Um, but yeah, the thunderstorm, lightning, reminded me of something that Nietzsche wrote. <laughs> My favorite philosopher, of course. Um, and I think it was in Beyond Good and Evil or one of his later books. Or he talks about lightning flashing. Like when that's how people talk about lightning, that it flashes. But lightning does not flash. It's not like there's something called lightning and it makes a flash happen. The lightning is the flash. The lightning and the flash are one. Without the flash, there's no lightning. Without the lightning, there's no flash. They have this very symbiotic relationship. Uh, but it's so seamless that it seems like two things. It seems like the lightning and the flash are two separate things. But it's just one thing that, uh, that has this double aspect. So it's kind of beautiful in a way. And there's no reality behind the flash. And there's no reality behind the lightning. Like each is the other's grounding in this way. Um, and so I think this relates to, I don't know, the way we think about ourselves or about love, or about whatever, um, is trying to get at, like, oh, is this really real, or whatever. Um, but if some, there's no, like, real reality behind the appearance of reality. Whatever appears is real. Appearance is reality, which <laughs> I'm not the first, first one to say. Um, but we do get into this trap of looking for something beyond or behind what we see to try to figure out if what we see is really real. But once you start going down that road, it never ends because you're never going to find something that will make you be like, okay, yeah, this is really real. I have found actual reality. here. Um, if something appears, then a lot went into making it appear, but it's nothing that we can decipher. Like there is a hidden reality behind the appearance but it's part of the appearance itself. And so we can never separate the appearance from what caused the appearance. The cause of the appearance is always going to be a mystery because it's contained within the appearance itself. The appearance is double. Like the lightning and the flash, they are two things, but they're part of the same appearance. And we can't separate them apart and figure out you know, what came first, what's more real, or whatever. Okay, um, I'm doing a lot of commuting for work, uh, subway, just like out a lot, and really noticing a lot more homeless people in New York than before the pandemic, which I guess shouldn't be surprising, because, you know, the economy was broken, everything was totally destroyed, 
for a long time. People who were like right on the edge, like went over the edge in all kinds of ways. Um, so you're seeing the effects of the lockdown and everything horrible about the pandemic in New York, in New York city, especially you can see it like playing out in real time. Um, because what they did with, you know, that horrible social experiment of locking everyone inside, which happened more in New York than anywhere else, probably, um, like didn't save that many lives or any really. Uh, and we're going to be dealing with the damage of it for a long time. And you would think like there would be more homeless services or something set up, but no, especially after this horrible pandemic. Um, but it doesn't seem like it. I certainly haven't heard, heard anything about it. And of course, New York city is like the most liberal place in the country. Um, but of course it's just like a home for, it's the center of the finance world. I mean, London, maybe more so, but New York city is right there, obviously. Um, and like, that's what New York city really is. And that's what liberalism really is. It's just this like mask for capitalism and financial capitalism and real estate, especially. And those are the main parts of the New York economy. Uh, But especially during this last month, you saw nonstop LGBTQ stuff and just massive homelessness all around it. Um, I actually saw one guy outside this office building. He was clearly like a finance bro explaining uh, like the trans and Black Lives Matter flag that has been created. Like they put Black Lives Matter stuff onto the uh, LGBT flag, Q flag. Uh, And he was explaining it to her this homeless woman as if like oh we're all in this together and like here's how we're being good and it was very condescending like she just needs a place to sleep and money um so why can't she have that (laughs) well because then your job wouldn't exist mister and yeah you, you know like in portland you see a lot of homeless people um and one of my pals was saying in Portland, there's this large influx of um, LARPing white kids in their 20s. And they just, like, take up what little resources there are for homeless people in Portland. Uh, <laughs> and that's really funny, too. Because Portland's obviously this very liberal city. And you see, and I'm sure all these LARPing white kids in their 20s are liberal, too. And they're just going in and, like, taking resources from the people there who actually need them uh, as part of their, like, self-actualization journey and experience and so on. Um, And, of course, San Francisco has maybe the worst homeless problem in the country, worse than New York even. Uh, And, like, liberals in New New York, if if you try to talk about homelessness with them, they're always like, oh, yeah, but it's not great here, but uh, in San Francisco, it's, like, really bad. Um, but, like, eh, they don't walk around and see it as much. And, you know, San Francisco uh, is, like, the home of tech and all kinds, and, like, the new economy and everything. Um, and they love to talk about liberal values and so on. But they have the worst homeless problem. And, you know, they're never going to just put the homeless people into the available apartments and housing or build housing for them. It's really not complicated. They could do that, but 
every day they choose to just let them suffer and die on the street. And they still think that they're good people, the best people, because they're taking the high road. That's what liberals always say. When they, the right wing, go low, we go high. Um, but in all their cities, all the liberal cities, every day they choose to let homeless people die in the fucking streets. Uh, Okay, uh, last thing I guess I wanted to talk about. It's still raining. I'm under a tree, though, so I'm not getting that wet. It's kind of ideal, actually. If you can get to the park before it rains and then just hide under a tree and watch the rain. Um, kind of dialectical, I guess, because you're in the rainstorm, but not really. Uh, there's some more thunder. Man, if you ever take a film theory class, they say that rain signifies change. So maybe that's what all this rain signifies that big change is happening. I don't know. Maybe it is. Ah, uh, certainly feels that way. Um, yeah, so I guess the last thing I want to talk about would be Trump. Um, I joined Truth Social a little while ago, just kind of as a joke. Um, I'd go on there like once a week and just mindlessly retweet everything that Trump posts, or retruth, because they're called truths. Um, I retruth everything that Trump truths. Uh, and don't really look at anything else on there. But, yeah, it seems like he's not doing well, and I don't know if he's going to be able to come back. Like, I don't really see how that happens at this point. He's just got to be, like, super funny. Um, like, a, maybe a year ago now, he was like, they impeached me twice, and all it did, and I became worse. Like, that was really... He has to keep cranking those kind of bangers out, and I'm not really seeing it happening. I don't know. I think he's losing being funny. Um, although he did have a line, like, last week when Biden fell off his bike. He was like, folks, I promise you I will never ride a bicycle, okay? Um, because riding a bike is gay and stupid. And Trump understands that on a basic level. And so if he can just, like, keep tapping into that very specific thing that makes him say stuff like that, just do that, like, all the time, then he might be able to win again. But I think that's the only way. Because otherwise, you know, he's just going to... It was stupid of him to start his own platform. Like, nobody is going to fucking leave Twitter and go to Truth Social. Um, I would certainly never leave Twitter. I mean, well, yeah, I did. But uh, <laughs> if I wasn't me, I would... I don't know. But I think he should come back to Twitter because I think Elon Musk bought it. I think that went through finally. I don't know. I can't follow what's happening. But... He would allow Trump to come back for sure. Uh, but Trump has said that he'll never go back. He's just going to be on Truth Social. And, like, mm, I think he'll realize at a certain point that if he wants to, like, make the impact that he needs to make, he's got to go back to Twitter. Um, because, you know, Twitter sucks, and nobody really is happy with it at all. But that was the first thing like that. First micro-blogging social networking platform. Uh, so... Everyone's locked into it. There's this... concept in the philosophy of digital space uh, called lock-in. That, like, whatever people get used to in the early days of a new form of digital space or a new networked thing, uh, they just get locked into it. Like, Facebook, Twitter they've just been around for like 20 years almost now that 
people are just still on them through inertia and because they're locked into it rather than like actually liking it at all. And that's just how those things go. And this is sort of the dialectical nature of new technology and of digital space that it's supposed to like open up this whole world and make the world much bigger. You know, this amazing possibility for sharing everything and all these amazing connections, whatever. But it actually makes things very small and narrow and you get locked into it. So it's this very claustrophobic thing. It's not open at all. Um, so yeah, I think uh, DeSantis is going to keep getting more popular. I think he's like outpacing Trump in a lot of recent polls. And he's the governor of Florida and he was just, he's very anti-woke in various ways. Like he was against the lockdown shit and um, doesn't want like trans or whatever stuff to be taught in elementary schools. I don't know like what the lesson plan is. Like, I don't know. I made it through elementary school and the rest of school, but like there was plenty to talk about. And like, I don't know where you would fit in other, all the other stuff. I don't know. And like kids are already so stupid now and like don't know the basics of anything. So like, shouldn't there be more time spent on that than like whatever the fuck these people are talking about? Just like on a very practical educational level. Like, I don't know what it's adding. Um, and yeah, so he's standing against that in a way that some people are calling based. And yeah, like all Trump has is being anti-woke, obviously. And this guy is being anti-woke in like a very applied and relevant way because he's in charge of a state right now. And Trump Trump isn't in charge of anything. Um, But DeSantis also isn't like, you know, he doesn't have all the baggage that Trump has. And it's got to be killing Trump because Trump like, you know, this was his protege or one of his protégés. And he gave him a big endorsement, helped him become governor or whatever. And now he's surpassing him. So I can't even imagine how much that must be eating up Trump. But yeah, I mean, I think it'll be good if he loses because Trump has taken up enough of our minds. Absolutely. So it probably would be better if uh, we don't have to deal with him ever again. I don't know. I think he'll probably run, but he also doesn't want to put himself in a position to lose again. And so I think that might win out. Like, he doesn't want to be a loser again. That's the worst. That's what he hates more than anything. And he probably would lose uh, to DeSantis. But he would probably beat whoever the Democrats nominate. Like, there's a lot of noises coming out that they don't want Biden to run again. Like, even Kamala Harris said something the other day where, like, he intends to run again or something. So she's putting some doubt in there. And, you know, most people in the Democratic Party don't want Biden to run again because they just think he's too old or, you know, his approval ratings are low. And they think it's a problem with him rather than their party being totally empty and having no ideas. Like, if they got some younger person in there, it would be the same problem. They have no ideas and their ideology is despised by most people. Um, So, yeah, I think whoever wins the Republican nomination is going to win the general. And it's just going to be this massive right-wing shift, uh, which, of course, we already saw with the repeal of Roe versus Wade. I don't know who won, Roe versus Wade. I guess they both lose now. Um, 
And yeah, I don't really see an end to it. Like it can get as right wing and reactionary conservative Republican, like as you can imagine, like it's, there's not going to be a point where the country's like, okay, that's far enough. Like it, it's wide open. So there is an open space somewhere in politics and culture and society now, but it's only with the negation of the left and with the kind of right wing swing. Um, and there's really nothing to stop it. Like protests, like it's all like sixties counterculture shit. doesn't work anymore. And yeah, I don't know. I guess it's an exciting time if you're a fascist reactionary. Uh, so yeah, I think I've said this before in various ways, but, um, you know, the right will just keep winning because they're not afraid to totally be who they are and embrace the total negation of the left. Um, and liberals and the left, like they're never going to like, you know, actually build housing for homeless people or take housing from the rich and give it to the poor. They're not going to redistribute wealth in any meaningful way. They're not going to, you know, um, prioritize unions over the capitalist class. They're not going to even raise the minimum wage. They're just never going to do any of those things. Uh, and to fully beat the, you know, right wing thing that's happening, they would have to do that. They're not going to do it. They would rather, you know, have the right wing take total power, which is what's happening and will continue to happen, than, you know, embrace actual leftist policies. Um, so, yeah, just going to keep getting worse in that way. If you think that's worse, maybe you think it's better. Because um, most people's politics at this point are just like, I hate the left and don't care what happens other than that. And so if that's your politics, then yeah, you'll be pretty happy with what's going on, I suppose. Um, all right, what else do I want to talk about? Okay, the rain has stopped, so I think I'm going to head out now. Uh, hope you enjoyed that. Started off talking about uh, basketball from the early 80s, and then talked about all kinds of other stuff. So yeah, I will uh, talk to you guys later. Okay, bye.